Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. If you were with me last week, we talked a little bit about Luke 15, the famous text with the prodigal son in it and the the lost coin and the lost sheep. And we were looking at the Passion Translation, and we talked about how the prodigal son, the younger brother, thought he had to convince his father that he wasn't worthy. He was practicing his speech, coming back to say, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son. Well, if you listened to us last week, I want to ask you, how are you doing with believing the truth that you are worthy? Because the father showed us without a doubt, and the father represents Papa, our father, showed us without a doubt that no matter what we do, we are worthy. So what does it take? It's a hard concept for some of us to really realize that we are worthy when we've had actions that don't seem worthy. What does it take? What is the process to get to where you really believe you are worthy? I got to tell you, intellectual knowledge won't do it. It's not a mind thing. There will always be, well, yeah, but I, I, I don't feel worthy. I see what I do. I hear what I say. I remember what I've done. I know I'm not worthy. I've seen it. I don't deserve God's forgiveness, blessing, restoration, and inclusion. See, thinking that we're not worthy is bound up in the false concept of thinking we need to be forgiven for our sins. Let me say that again. Thinking we are not worthy is bound up in the false concept of thinking we need to be forgiven for our sins. So how do we get rid of that stinking thinking? How do we get free? Well, it starts with the understanding of what sin really is and how Papa relates to sin. But that's just the start. Paul wrote in Romans 6, 11 to 13, this is the mirror translation. He said, calculate the cross. There can only be one logical conclusion. Jesus died your death. That means you died to sin and now are alive to God. Now, understanding what sin means is really key here. Sin consciousness can never again feature in your future, this translation says. You are in Christ Jesus. His lordship is the authority of this union. Francois says, we're not being presumptuous to reason that we are in Christ. Other translations say, reckon yourselves therefore dead to sin. Well, that word means to make a calculation to which there can only be one logical inclusion. So Francois goes on to translate it. Well, actually, now he's quoting the message. He says, from now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you 
hang on every word. You're dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did for you. Now, I want you to remember that phrase, hang on every word. Verse 12 of Romans 6 goes on to say, you're under no obligation to sin. It has no further right to dominate your dead declared body. Your union with Christ's death broke the association with sin. Another translation say, you were a slave to sin, but you're no longer a slave to sin. When you are a slave, you're not what? What are you not if you're a slave? You're not free. You're not free. We have been slaves to believing that we've missed the mark with God, the Greek word harmartia, which is unfortunately translated sin. We've been slaves to believing that we have missed the mark with God. And because of that, we believe the lie that we're not worthy and we have to do something to get worthy. But then we can blow it and not be worthy again. We falsely believe we're not worthy. And we also falsely believe others are not worthy either. We're slaves to that thinking. So how do we get free? Well, fortunately, Jesus not only made a way, but he told us, how do we get free? John 8, 23. Jesus is talking here to a group of Jewish people, primarily Jewish leaders. It's a big crowd. He said to them, you all draw your conclusion from the sense world here below, thinking you're not worthy because of your actions in the past and in now. But Jesus says, my source, and he's talking about the Father, points to a different dimension, a realm which is above the horizon of the senses. And look at this, Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. Paul says, see yourself co-raised with Christ in a different realm. And that realm is here. Now, he says, ponder with persuasion the consequence of your co-inclusion in him. Relocate yourself mentally. Engage your thoughts with throne room realities. The throne room is in the temple. You are the temple. That's why they call these temples. This is where God lives. You are the temple. The throne room is right here. Relocate yourselves mentally. Engage your thoughts with throne room realities where you are co-seated with Christ in the executive authority of God's right hand. Verse 2, Colossians 3, become affectionately acquainted with throne room thoughts. When you do that, that will keep you from being distracted again by the earthly soul-ruled realm. Other versions say, set your minds upon the things that are above and not the things below. Whatever you face in your daily lives, acquaint yourself with the greater reality, the things that are above. Do not engage the energy of things that are below. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. We're not keeping any score of what seems so obvious to the senses on the surface. Don't keep any score of what your eyes, your ears tell you that you've done to make you not worthy. He said that's fleeting and irrelevant. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 18. It is in the unseen and eternal realm within us, which has our full attention and captivates our gaze. A renewed mind conquers the space previously occupied by worthless pursuits and habits. It's worthless 
to try to get right with God, become worthy by things you do, because you're already right with God and you're already worthy. Your union with Christ's death broke the association with that world, the sensory-dominated world. See yourselves located in a fortress where your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then Francois jumps to John 14, 20, where Jesus says, In that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. Today is that day. He goes on to say, Occupy your mind with this new order of life. You died when Jesus died. Whatever defined you before defines you no more. If you think you're not worthy because of what you've done, Jesus said, No! Whatever defined you before defines you no more. Christ, in whom the fullness of deity dwells, defines you now. And Francois says the word hidden there can also be translated secret. The secret of your life, the secret of being worthy with God, being one with God, is your union with Christ in God. Risen then with Christ, you must lift your thoughts above where Christ now sits at the right hand of God. You must be heavenly-minded, not earthly-minded. You've undergone death, and your life is hidden away now with Christ in God. Christ is your life. When he is made manifest, you are made manifest in his glory. In Colossians 3, verse 4, the unveiling of Christ as defining our lives immediately implies that what is evident in Christ is equally mirrored in you. The exact life on exhibit in Christ is now repeated in us. We are included in the same bliss and joint oneness with him. Just as his life reveals you, your life reveals him. In him, we live and move and have our being as he lives and moves and has his being in us. All right now, back to John 8, where Jesus is talking to the religious group. He said, that's why I said that you will die in your sins. Talking to religious people here. You will die in your sins and it has nothing to do with what we've been taught. He said, because you're not convinced about who I am. He said, if you were convinced about who I am, you would know who you are. Your unbelief in my I amness will keep you trapped in this death rule dimension, the very dimension that I've come to deliver you from. Verse 26 of John 8 says, I've got many things to say to you and to conclude about you in my personal capacity. But since you don't believe in me, it won't mean anything to you if I say it. But you need to know he who sent me, the Father, is true. He is above your suspicious scrutiny. He said, I speak to the world these things which I have heard from my close companionship with the Father. Verse 27, most of the people just could not make the connection. Jesus' claims about the Father made no sense to their reasoning at all. And it reminds me of a verse we talked about a few weeks ago. It's translated from the Passion, Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. Don't go with your own opinion. Trust what God says to you and about you. All right, verse 29 in John 8, Jesus said, He who sent me on my mission, Papa God, also accompanies me. He says, The Father has never abandoned me for a moment. Well, that just shoots to hell the theory that God separated himself from Jesus at the cross, doesn't it? <laughs> and I say that shoots to hell for a reason, because we're taught that that's hell, but it's not hell. The Father has never abandoned me for a moment, Jesus said. He said, it's my delight to always do what pleases him. Now, here's verse 30, John 8, 30. 
while listening to him, many were persuaded that he was indeed the Christ, the anointed one. While listening to him, listening to him, listening to his voice, many were persuaded that he was indeed the Christ, the anointed one. Verse 31, Jesus then said to those Jews who were believing in him, and there were only Jews there, so he's saying those who were believing in him, take my word, and that word is logos, the spoken word of Jesus to them and to us, to its complete conclusion. Then abide in seamless union with its logic. That means to truly be my disciples. And Francois says he's not referring to some future red-letter edition of the Bible highlighting his words. No, Jesus is speaking about the words he speaks personally. He spoke to God personally before time was. Then he documented it was predicted. And then he came and he did it. And this is it, folks. This is how you get free. You listen to Jesus personally speak to you. Here's what Jesus said, John 8, 32. In this abiding with me, listening to me, you will fully know the truth about who you are, and this knowing will be your freedom. Other verses say, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Jesus goes on to say in verse 34, he says, I say unto you with absolute certainty, That everyone engaging in the distorted mindset of sin, thinking that we're not right with God, missing the mark, he says, is a slave to it. And Francois says, sin's not about the things you do or don't do. Sin is missing out on sonship. And he says, these people's failings to see Jesus as their Messiah and him as the mirror image redeemer of their true sonship, that's what their sin is. Has nothing to do with bad actions. Religion is enslaved to the fruit of the wrong tree. The sin system is governed by the idea of justification by personal effort, performance, and pretense, which is the typical fruit of the I am not mindset. I'm not worthy. Verse 36, Jesus says, with the freedom found in me, you are free indeed. So here's how we get free from being slaves to sin, slaves to thinking we're not worthy because of what our five senses tell us in the seen and temporary world. We hang out with Jesus and we listen to what he says to us. We dwell in seamless union and oneness with him. We listen to his voice to us personally, not words written down in a book, We listen to the words of the living word of God. We ask him what's true about our being worthy. And we listen to him. We listen to the teacher in us, as opposed to listening to our own mind, our own opinion, as opposed to what religious leaders tell us, as opposed to what anyone else tells us. Listening to Jesus and taking sides with him Confessing what he says about our sin and worthiness, that is what makes us free. We are free, and when we do that, then we experience subjectively what is objectively true. 
And this doesn't happen just once and we think we got it. No, dwell in seamless union with Jesus every day and listen to what he says. Now, thinking we're not worthy is bound up in the false concept of thinking we need to be forgiven for our sins. I want to say that again. Thinking we're not worthy, like the prodigal son coming back and convincing the father he wasn't worthy. He said, Father, I've sinned against you and against Father wouldn't have any of that. Thinking we're not worthy is bound up in the false concept of thinking we need to be forgiven for our sins. Now, religion has hammered that into us over and over again, thinking we got to be forgiven for our sins. Jesus came to die so we would be forgiven for our sins. That's absolutely not true. I'm going to give you 11 verses, and I'm going to go through them fairly quickly, on sin and forgiveness. And all these 11 verses say God has forgiven, taken away, put as far as the east is from the west where they never meet, Cancel, chooses not to remember, and keeps no list of sins. These are just 11. There are more. Here we go. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions, our sins from us. Isaiah 43, 25. God speaking. I, yes, I am the one who blots out your offenses for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 44, 22, God says, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me now because I've redeemed you. He says he's already done it. He says, don't ask me to do it. Then I'll let you return. He says, no, I've already done it. So come on. John 1, 29, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized. And John cried out, look, there he is, God's lamb. He takes away the sin of the entire world. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. God keeps no record of wrongs. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God the Father was reconciling the world to himself in Christ at the cross, not counting people's sins against them. This is a little longer passage here, five verses in Ephesians 1, 4 to 9. In love, God chose us before creation. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus Christ, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for the beloved Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan gives him great pleasure. Since we're now joined to Christ, we've been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins. That happened before the foundation of the world. We were given the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. This superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us, releasing all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. And through the revelation of the anointed one, Christ, he unveiled his secret desire to us, the hidden mystery of his long-range plan, which he was delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. See, all of this happened before time and space. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. God has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. 
For in the Son, in Christ, all our sins are canceled. And we have the release of redemption through his very blood. Hebrews 8, verse 12. God says, I will demonstrate my mercy to them and will forgive their evil deeds and never remember again their sins. Hebrews 10, 17 says the same thing again. I will never, ever again remember their sins. First John 2. John says this. This is the Phillips translation. He says, I write these things to you. May I call you my children? For that's how I think of you. I write these things to you to help you avoid sin. But if a man should sin, remember that our advocate before the Father is Jesus Christ the righteous, the one who made personal atonement for our sins and for the whole world as well. Right. Eleven verses. Very clear, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, from different writers that say sin is absolutely not an issue with God. We don't need forgiveness for anything. Now, I'm going to give you one verse, the only verse really that people use, one verse on thinking we have to confess our sins in order to be forgiven. Now, I want you to remember here, we're taught, and it's true, Never to make a doctrine out of only one verse that is not substantiated by any other verse. This is especially true when there are a multitude of other verses that completely contradict the doctrine that we made out of that one verse. When there is a verse that appears to contradict all these other verses, the preponderance of other verses, we need to research that verse. See if there might be any mistranslations. See who he's talking to. See the culture. See all of that. So here's the one verse. People say this to me often. Somebody said it just a week ago. Well, what about, I know our sins are forgiven, but what about 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, then he will forgive our sins. If, see, we've got to confess our sins to get him forgiven. What about that? Let me read the, the Passion. It says, if we freely admit our sins when his light uncovers them, he will be faithful to forgive us every time. God is just to forgive us our sins because of Christ, and he will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. NIV says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us from all our sins. Well, we need to research that. The word if can just as easily, it's up to the translators, be translated since. The word confess or admit, the English words are the Greek word homologio which means to say the same thing as another or to agree with. Here's what that passage means. Since we agree with God about what he says about our sin, as listed in all those other verses that I gave you, we're able to trust that he has already forgiven all our sin and has purified us and made us righteous or right with him. Now, here's the real question for you. Which one of those verses are you going to give weight to? Are you going to go, yeah, but, and hang on to, ah, Scripture says we got to confess our sins? Or are you going to give weight to and listen to those other 11 verses, which are just some of the verses in the Bible, but all those other verses that say God has already taken care of all of our sin for all people forever? Which one are you going to listen to? When you listen to Jesus And what he says, when you hang on his every word, you will hear him say, 
I'm in you. I love you. We took care of your sin before the foundation of the world. You don't have to come up to us to prove that you're worthy. You are worthy. We made you worthy. And now that you know this, we've made you free from the slavery of thinking you're not worthy. And the result is peace, joy, and (sighs) I'm worthy. Papa's taken care of my sins. I don't have to prove anything to him or anybody. I hope that's helpful to you folks. It certainly is helpful to me, and it's something that I want us all to know and remember and just continue all our life. See you next time. Love you all. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.